Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Right now it has uh, become an annual tradition on our program over the last number of years uh, to be involved with the Lions Lair competition. This is a, a competition that is done in conjunction with uh, the Innovation Factory, which of course is part of the McMaster Innovation Park, where they're located there anyway. Uh, the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, the City of Hamilton, and a number of uh, private sector supporters over the last number of years. And uh, what it does is highlight uh, innovation and some of the fabulous new ideas that are coming down the road uh, and the encouragement for those ideas. And, uh, of course, over the last number of years, uh, past winners of the Lion's Lair have gone on to great uh, and much better stuff than, than anybody could have anticipated. Uh, businesses have flourished. And, by the way, not just the winners, uh, because, uh, obviously, uh, these ideas are so fabulous and sensational that uh, many of those others have flourished, too. So it's it's encouraging, and it's always fun to talk to the people that are involved in this. And that's what we're going to do. Again, this week uh, on the Bill Kelly Show here on 900 CHML, we're going to introduce you to uh, the nine finalists for the competition. And as is usually the case, of course, uh, the uh, competition culminates with the awards dinner. And uh, after that, the day after, uh, we broadcast live from the Innovation uh, Factory, uh, of course, at uh, Longwood, the old Camco plant there. And uh, we'll talk with the winners and uh, some of the other nominees and, of course, some of the organizing folks that are behind this competition each and every year. It seems to get bigger and better every year. And uh, this year, I, I'm, I'm assuming, is going to be no exception. Uh, to start things off, uh, I want to talk to you about a company called Braze Mobility. And uh, Pooja Wiswanathan is with us from Braze Mobility. First of all, thank you for coming in. It's great to have you here today. Yeah, thank you so much. It's no pressure just because you're the first one, okay? <laughs> yeah, but no, you, no, in other words, the pressure's on everybody else because they're going to have to reach the standard that you're going to set here on the interview. <laughs> so no problem at all. Uh, talk to us about, about Braze Mobility, where the idea – well, first of all, let's start with what it is. Yeah. So Braze Mobility, we essentially are a company that develops innovative solutions to help increase safe and independent mobility. Uh, the most recent product that we launched are blind spot sensors for wheelchairs. And this is so that people who use wheelchairs have a better spatial awareness of their environment. So one of the major issues with, with actually using a wheelchair is that there's very limited visibility, especially in the rear. So you and I right now are sitting in chairs. And if we actually try to look behind us and you know, people free, feel free to try this at home. But if you're sitting in an office chair um, or your dining chair, you know, try looking at the floor behind, behind, directly behind the uh, the legs of the chair, and it's almost impossible to see down there. So you can imagine then, with you know, limited upper body mobility and and strength uh, as well, it gets even more challenging to look behind you. And so that was sort of a big problem that we um, we kind of saw was was quite predominant among wheelchair users. And so we decided to to go out and solve that problem. And you know, strangely enough, nothing like this existed for wheelchairs. So we have backup sensor technologies for cars, but nothing like that was there for wheelchairs. I'm always interested, though, because this sounds like a fabulous idea, obviously, and, and it's fulfilling a, a, a need that has been there for quite some time. But but how did you come into this idea? How did you stumble upon this? Yeah, so my story actually goes back to uh, I just finished my undergrad and I'd gone into a long-term care facility for the first uh -huh. time. And what I saw there was that the majority of the residents were actually slumped over in manual wheelchairs because they didn't have the strength to propel themselves. And rather than, than being prescribed power wheelchairs, which would have improved their mobility, they're actually being excluded because a lot of the residents there had cognitive deficits. So, you know, things like dementia and so on, which would have um, prevented them 
from being able to drive wheelchairs safely. And so, you know, this this exclusion, of course, is, is really a, a violation of a fundamental human right. And so we decided there's got to be a better solution. You know, instead of taking a, a wheelchair away from the person, why don't we just make wheelchairs smarter? And that's really what our devices do is you can essentially attach them on to any wheelchair and transform them into a smart chair that can detect obstacles and give feedback to the driver. But you know how many people work in facilities like that? And they, they do great work. We all understand that. But they'd see that problem and they say, well, that sucks. But you, you went to the next step and said, you know, I want to do something about that. What, 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 how are you wired to make you say, no, I want to find a solution. I'm not just going to accept that that's the way it is. I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to make it better. Well, I think, like I said, it was really just, you know, a fu- fundamental human right. I mean, we all have the right to mobility and independence. And the fact that, you know, here we are in the 21st century um, saying, oh, well, this person can drive the chair safely. We're just going to take the chair away. It's just not acceptable. You know, I mean, if you were having troubles walking, somebody said, I'm going to take your legs away from you. How would you feel? Um, so it was. It was really was just you know fundamental human rights violation, and we, we you know there had to be a better solution. I had a computer science background, and so I figured you know if I if people like me with the kind of skill sets that I had couldn't solve this problem, then well who else would? All right. What was job one? You said I'm going to do something about this. How do you begin? Well, did you have an idea in your mind what you wanted to see already? Um, so, I mean, you know, we, with a computer science background, we kind of knew what technology was out there. I actually joined a lab uh, in Toronto, so it was called the Intelligent Assistive Systems and uh, our Technology and Systems Lab, um, and it was out of the Rehab Sciences Building in, in University of Toronto, and they were actually looking at solutions to this problem using different types of sensors that would attach to the wheelchair and, and you know, automatically stop the wheelchair and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, you know, it was a combination of both. You, know, I kind of got exposed to a solution, and then, of course, before I started the company, I actually also went out into the community and started talking to wheelchair users. And so it was it was sort of a back and forth of trying to understand what the, the consumer needs were as well as looking at what the existing technologies were and what could actually be solved. So that life experience is a big part of this, obviously, that, that exposed you to the problem in the first place. Absolutely. And then you go to p- part B of that and saying, I want to talk to the people that are sitting in that chair. Too. I want to get their perspective. Absolutely. So that, that, that's where you get this from. Uh, you talked about obviously forming the company at some point too, Braze Mobility. Uh, we know uh, that uh, that in and of itself, no matter what your concept and your idea is, forming a company can be a rather daunting experience. Was it for you? <laughs> yes, it was, because I didn't actually have any business background whatsoever. Um, you know, I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs or anything like that. And so um, it, it was absolutely daunting, you know, coming out with a, a I did a, bio, a bachelor's in computer science and bioinformatics and then had done a PhD in robotics. And so came from a highly technical background with absolutely no business acumen. Uh, but, you know, I think what really have the first thing that I really did, and I think it just came from a passion to solve this problem. Uh, I, I changed a lot of the kind of people that I was also kind of communicating with and networking with. And so I started networking with a lot of individuals who had successfully started businesses who were like me, who didn't have a business background. Um, Talked to them, went to a lot of the free workshops. I think just being part of Toronto was a huge advantage as well because we have lots of incubators and free workshops Mm -hmm. that I could attend. Being part of that university as well as the the, the health network uh, was a huge advantage. So taking a lot of those workshops, I think, gave me some of the confidence that I needed. But at the end of the day, I think you just got to go for it, you know, and if it's a problem worth solving, then you just take that dive. Were you surprised, though, be- when you started to make those contacts that people were willing to share information and, and expertise on this? Oh, it, yes. It, it wasn't, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. I don't want any competition. It's quite the opposite in most cases. No, in fact, um, I was very surprised by how collaborative the uh, the entrepreneurship community is. I think we all recognize that we all need each other. You know, there's a lot of contacts that we tend to share. In fact, right in my incubator, which is the Impact Center, at uh, it was it's a campus-linked accelerator, uh, there's actually three 
three, at least three accessibility companies. And we help out each other quite a bit in terms of, you know, even connecting with distributors or uh, some of our consumers tend to be, um, you know, similar or people whose families, you know, could use our product. And so we've done a lot in terms of sharing our own knowledge and it's it's helped all of us grow. And, and there's also that sense of, you know, it's a lot of healthy competition as well. You know, if, if one of our uh, other companies in the incubator has just reached a milestone, it sort of inspires us to get there as well. So it's it's fantastic. I actually love being part of that kind of in- incubator environment. It's it's a different environment altogether. And it's a different attitude, uh, the, as you mentioned. That, <clears throat> excuse me, that entrepreneurial spirit that uh, that all ships rise with high tide. In other words, you know, let's share information because uh, if you do better, then we all do better. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. So. Uh, so here you got you got the company and you're going through this. Uh, obviously, you need a business plan, and this is all foreign to you at this stage. Uh, was there anybody that you could lean on to kind of say, "Look, at I, uh, you know, I'm 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 doing the the right side of the brain stuff here. I need somebody that's got this this other aspect, the business side of this." Yeah. So a lot of the workshops that I mentioned go quite a bit into building your uh, um, business plan. And in fact, one of the first things I learned because I assume that you know you start off with this 40 page business plan, and one of the first pieces of advice was, "Don't start off with a you know 40." page business plan. You don't need that right now. All you need is a, you know, 10 slide pitch deck. Um, and so that was fantastic advice because what they say is, you know, the beginning of the startup, your business model is changing so rapidly mm-hmm. that you don't want to lock down to this 40 page model. What you want is, you know, 10 slides and, and that's going to evolve over time. So our pitch deck has, has drastically evolved over the last two years as you learn more about your consumer needs, as you learn more about the go to market strategy. Um, so there was a lot of advisors that we got, not only from the impact center community, but I'm also part of AgeWell, which is a $36 million network centers of excellence. And so there were a lot of advisors um, that came through there as well. So, you know, just tapping into all of the existing communities and networks was quite critical. It's, it's pretty much the same thing as, as what I'm sure you saw during your academic career. You know, a lot of people head into, into university post-secondary education saying, I'm going this way. And, and once you get exposed to different information, different profs, et cetera, it says, well, I'm, I'm going to head down this road now. You, you never saw that coming. But it's it yeah. just and, – and I would imagine the business opportunities are the same way. You got your forty-page plan. You're going to say, "Well, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. I've been doing this. That's wrong. But I I, I need to do this, and that wasn't part of the plan." So you're constantly modifying, aren't you? Yes, you are, and it's so critical to be adaptive and uh, and resilient in the startup because you, you know, the the first plan you have is most likely not going to work out. In fact, the first product you have is probably not going to work out. We iterated several times before we landed on what's called the minimum viable product, where we knew we had it when we went out to a conference, and people kind of flocked to our booth and were willing to pay for it. Uh, but it took us quite a few iterations to get there. Well, it's uh, the old Thomas Edison line, isn't it? I have not failed. I just found 39 ways that don't work. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, glasses half full sort of thing. How do, you, how do you monetize? How do you get the word out about this, obviously, because this has got great potential here. Yes. Um, we go out to several accessibility expos um, and conferences that happen uh, all over North America, as well as, you know, I went out to a couple in Europe as well. Um, we, we try to get our online presence um, going. So we, we do a lot of blogs and articles, you know, that might help not only wheelchair users and their families, but therapists as well. And the therapists tend to be the gatekeepers of this type sure. of technology. You know, they're the ones who typically recommend it. So we um, invest a lot of our energies in terms of educating therapists. Uh, we do a lot of 
I work with the veterans, so Veterans Affairs both in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, we work a lot of the therapists. In fact, the, the very first advocate of ours was a uh, an American VA therapist who um, came up and said, hey, I've been trying to build something like this for my clients for several years. It's fantastic that you guys actually came up with a solution for this. Um, so our advocates have, have really, and our therapist advocates have really been our champions in, in terms of getting the word out. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, it's been a little over two years. Okay, and how how is how has this grown? I mean, your your enthusiasm and expertise here is boundless. But uh, obviously, you want to make sure that uh, you know the word is getting out there, and people are saying, "Hey, you know, we we got to talk to these folks." Yeah. So um, you know, we did a we launched our um, sort of beta product is what we call it. And so it was a, a limited run where we tried to get out to some of the leading institutions uh, in North America, and we actually sold out of our first kind of set of production units. So that was really a success. And now we're actually launching a, a sort of more consumer version of the product that we'd hopefully, you know, someday be able to ship on Amazon right to our customers so that they can install themselves. And that's something that we've really succeeded at over the last year is building a product that's easy enough to install, where a lot of our institutions now are uh, calling us and turning down our free training sessions because they're so excited when they open up the kit and they figure it all out and install it within minutes. Um, so that's been been a real success for us. And, and really, our success has just been the growing positive feedback that we've gotten from the community. What, what about the potential for growth here? I, I mass production, things of this nature. That's, yeah. that's got to be, a, I, I, it's got to be in, on, on your roadmap, I would think, somewhere down there. Yes, and we've uh, already established relationships with manufacturers, both uh, locally and, and internationally in the U.S. as well as overseas. Um, so again, we were able to tap into a lot of the uh, programs that they had here to help Canadian companies manufacture overseas and sell overseas as well. Um, we've been looking at international markets to sell into as well. In fact, currently we're looking at New Zealand, Japan, um, Hong Kong. And so, you know, it's not just North America. We're really looking to go global this year. Are, are governments doing enough for, for people like you to try to encourage this and, and support you? I, I do believe so. I mean, we couldn't have got to where we got. We, you know, right now we've, we've raised over $350,000 in non-dilutive funding. So that's government funds, that's pinch, pitch competitions like Lion's Lair. Um, and so we've come a pretty far way just with, you know, that kind of support. And so I think it's fantastic. And I think that's one of the biggest advantages of being in Canada is uh, not only the government grants, but also the access to talent. We've had phenomenal talent, um, you know, people, both technical and non-technical sort of business talent that's joined our team. And, you know, I, I went from essentially being the, the only part-time, the only full-time um, person working in the company to now a team of three. Uh, and we're all, you know, all working really hard. And in fact, two of those um, employees came through internships that were also funded by the government. Um, so it's it's really been fantastic, the kind of support we've got. You you mentioned a key word here, and we've talked about this with our friends over at the Innovation Factory, and that's mentorship. That's a big part of this, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, like I said, you know, when you start a company, there's so much you don't know. And there's so many gaps that need to be filled that, you know, a lot of time it's these mentors that are helping fill those gaps, really pointing you in the, at least pointing you in the right direction. So you know where you can get those answers. Yeah. And knowing which way, you know, don't step there. I've <laughs> been there, done that. You know, I'll tell you what happened to me, so don't go there. Uh, listen, if your other partners have the same enthusiasm for this that you do, I, you, the sky's the limit for you guys. This is a fabulous idea. Uh, and obviously, there is a market for this sort of thing too. Uh, I, I got a 
feeling I'm probably going to be talking to you when we do the show from over there with our other finalists and the winners, too. This is sensational, Pooja. Thank you so much for coming in here today. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure having you. The uh, company, by the way, is called Braze Mobility. Uh, give, give us a plug. Where can they get information about this? Yeah, so uh, Braze Mobility, you can find more information at www.brazemobility.com. Um, so, you know, if you've got anyone who who's, who uses a wheelchair, if you use a wheelchair yourself, check us. Check out our website and talk to us. You know, even if you, whether you want our product or not, give us a call. We have a pretty huge huge beta client community that, you know, we love to work very closely with wheelchair users. Thanks again, Pooja. Thanks. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.